Luke chapter 5. We're going to begin to read the first one. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of him and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships which was Simon's and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned on to their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed them. Turn over just to John's Gospel and chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed him to himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Edimus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come, I come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come along, they saw fire coals, and fish laid on and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring up the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net along, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus said unto them, Come and down. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? knowing that it was the Lord. And we pray that the Lord adds his blessing to the reading of his own infallible truth. Your hearts this afternoon. 
We spoke last week about Jesus as Saviour, and I suppose if I was to put a title on this, this, this today, I, I would say Jesus the Seeker. Fishermen experience many emotions when they're fishing. They're standing with a rod, casting their lures or their flies over the water, standing for hours at time. First of all, they've got hope, but then they've got patience. They're feeling the fish bite and they, they, they experience excitement. Maybe they catch nothing. Disappointment. Perhaps they're cold and wet. I've seen the character and the cold and wet catching nothing. And you're kind of depressed. But all of these emotions flood in. But the real fisherman, the angler we would call him, is the guy who enjoys fishing. And he just, he experiences just dedication. He's just there to fish irrespective of the weather or anything else. He's passionate about what he's doing. You never think of giving it up, no matter what the weather was like. And later he'll talk for hours about flies and rods and the one that got away and the one that's still there that he's hoping to catch hasn't got it yet. That's fishing as we know it in the West. That's fishing as we know it here. But in Israel, there was a different kind of fishing. It was a different type. It was done with nets. The nets were cast into the lake and they were dragged to catch fish. But the idea is the same. They just wanted to catch fish. But the method and the motive was different. Because in Israel they were fishing for food. They weren't fishing for fun. This was all about the livelihood of those who fished. It was serious business for them. They use the nets. Nets are, are smelly things. I don't know if you're familiar with these things, but nets are quite smelly old things. And they, they require an awful lot of work and preparation for the next shift. They can wrap and they can break and there's floats on them and there's weights on them and these things have to be checked if they're going to function properly and be able to, to catch the fish. Quite a lot of work needs to be done in preparation for the actual fishing. And the net itself, when, it, when there's fishing, it requires stamina and strength. The nets are heavy to be pulled around, and especially whenever they're, they're wet. I remember when I was about, probably about five, four years old, five years old, and we lived in a place called Trooper's Lane, just outside Calipurgis. And we were like right on the beach, right at the shoreline, our back garden, run right down to the sand and then there was the water. There was no dual carriageway back in those days. My old grandfather, who, who was my best friend, my only friend, there was nobody else around, he lived straight facing us in the house opposite and he loved to fish and he fished with the net. And he, he made this guider for me, I don't know if you know what a guider is. There's a large plank of wood with pram wheels on it and there was a huge box nailed onto this plank, this guider. And he made it for me. And he told me he made it for me. But I found out very, very soon that there was an ulterior motive for this guider. Because each morning he would come down, he would get me, he would put me in the guider, and he would trail me down the beach to where he had his nets. I would be out of the guider, he would pull in the nets, and, and you would see maybe 10 or 15 big mullet, you wouldn't even eat them, like, but big mullet, and a few mackerel in his nest. He would throw the fish into the into the guider 
And yet he would put the net into the decayer and he would put me on top of the net and try to throw me home. And my mother used to, she straight into the kitchen sink, made with ice milk like the fish. Well, that's what he, he did. He loved the fish. He loved to catch a few fish. He didn't mean to do it, but he loved to catch a few fish and he enjoyed doing that. Now, those in our reading today, they needed to fish. Again, it wasn't just a pastime, it was their livelihood. They had to go out every night and fish in order to earn a living to feed their families. To them, it was a very important work. Now, in Luke chapter 5, the Lord Jesus Christ is doing also uh, something very important. Because we need to know the context here. What is he doing? Well, Jesus is calling his disciples to himself. He's calling them into full-time service. It says in Luke 5, the moment it came to pass as the people pressed about him, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's Galilee. We've come to the place, Galilee, that lake, sometimes called Tiberias. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were going out of them, and they were washing their nets. That's the people concerned here. The fishermen had finished the night shift, and they were looking after their nets. They were preparing their nets for the next shift. They were not with that multitude who thronged the Lord Jesus Christ. They were busy washing their nets, minding their own business. But the Lord had planned here. He was going to call out these men after himself in the full-time service. He had already seen these guys, but now he was calling them away from their secular employment into full-time ministry. And he was beginning with Peter here and his five friends. But he was going to do something else. Peter was going to begin his training in leadership. You know, we need to be trained for leadership. Some people say that a leader is born a leader, but you need a little bit of training. And Peter was going to be trained here for leadership. And says, then Jesus entered one of the ships, which was Simon's. Then we've got to come on. Because Peter is asked to do something quite simple for the Lord. Quite easy. It says he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and taught the multitudes out of the ship. You see, Jesus knew that his voice would travel across the water. And also it was a bit of a, a buffer between him and the crowd. He knew that that would work, and he knew that the multitude on the beach, they would hear the words that he was teaching them. Verse 4 says, And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drop. Let down your nets for a catch. Now remember, Peter had his nets washed, he had them on the boat, he was ready for the next shift that night, and the Lord's asking him to go out into the deep and, and cast and drop down his net for a catch. Maybe that was the reason that the Lord picked Peter's boat, because it was going to be uncomfortable for him to actually do what he was being asked to do. The last thing he was asked to do was very easy, but this in Peter's mind would have been crazy. It was a long time. It was daytime, morning or midday. It was a long place. Cast out into the deep. Well, at that time of the day, the fish come into the side of the of the lake. They come into the shallow waters during the day, not out in the deep. And it was the wrong method. Let down your nets. That's not what they've done. Nets were cast. You drag the net. Jesus just said, let down your nets. 
fixed effort the cost, but fixed help the drive. Peter must have thought to himself, I'm tired and I'm one of a few helpers. Then when it comes to the Lord's command to do something, do you ever feel tired? Do you ever feel like there's not much help around? You kind of want to do something and you look around and see who's with you and nobody, nobody with you. You don't help. A few chapters earlier, the Lord Jesus actually made reference to this. He says, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. He says, Pray ye the, har- the Lord of the harvest that he might send forth labors into the harvest. I love that. Because Jesus was telling the disciples to pray the Lord of the harvest to send people into the harvest. And who is he going to send? He's going to send those who were praying for some to be sent into the harvest. But there are a few neighbors. Nothing has much changed in the church today. When there's something to be done, there's not always an awful lot of volunteers to come and do it. It's a wee bit like you, it's a wee bit like Moses at the back end of the desert, whenever the Lord was calling him out, he says, Here am I, Lord, send him. Send him. There were a few helpers. The Lord commanded Peter to let down your nets for a catch. This is a complaint here, verse 5. And Simon answering and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. You know, it was a hard night. It wasn't an easy night. They toiled. And that word is a, means a really good effort into it. They toiled. They had a rough night and they caught nothing. And I remember Peter was a professional fisherman. And as far as Peter was concerned, Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth. And here you've got a carpenter from Nazareth telling a professional fisherman how to actually fish. And it's all wrong. Peter must have thought too that, oh, you know what, we're going to do this and the, the nets are going to have to be checked again and cleaned again and put back in the boat again for tonight. This is going to be an awful waste of time. And under natural circumstances, this would be a normal reaction. But what was about to happen wouldn't be natural, it would be supernatural. And what Peter couldn't have known in his own mind was that the miracle had actually begun the night before. They caught nothing. In Galilee. In Galilee that's teeming with fish. Many years ago I stood in in Galilee uh, at the edge of of the lake and with a piece of bread I actually fed fish. And there were so many fish that they were they were bumping into my legs. I have this on video too. Unbelievable fish this size were bumping into my legs and I was feeding them bread. So many fish in Galilee, yet they toiled all night and they didn't catch one fish. See when Jesus is in the ship, natural doesn't even come into the equation. People don't matter. Ability doesn't matter. Conditions don't matter. The only thing that matters is that Jesus is in the ship. And I ask the question, is Jesus in your ship? Is he directing proceedings? Is the ship ready? Is the ship ready for service? Are we in a fishing boat? Or are we in a sailing boat? You see, if we adopt the idea of a sailing boat, then, then our boats or our ships or our fellowships We'll be all about ourselves. It'll be all about entertainment for ourselves. It'll all be about about barbecues and all those other things. And I know this because I used to work for the Healthy Church program in California. 
We had to go around churches and try and encourage churches how to actually grow, believe it or not. And the first thing that we did was we opened the books and we saw where the money went. And the money went to the silver liners. And the money went to the barbecues and the pie fellowships. Southern Baptists like pies. Pie fellowships. And the money went to the building. They're in the real estate business. And when I looked down, especially in one church in particular, I nearly died. There was thousands spent on all of these other things. And when I looked down the list, evangelism, $200. You believe it. And then I wondered why the church wasn't growing. And then I see people. We're in a cell. Father's on a cruise ship, and you know it. But is this ship ready? Sometimes we simply just have to follow the Lord's command and do the what He says we need to do it. We need to get out there, and we need to spread the gospel. Sometimes we have to launch out into the deep. Where's the deep? Where's the deep for good Grange? I know the deep is in Rathcrew. Where's the deep in Grange? Where's that place that if the Lord says, go there tomorrow, you will send me sure, Lord? Do you really want us to go there? Launch out into the deep. Maybe a bit friendly, maybe, maybe uncomfortable. Everything might seem wrong, wrong time, wrong place, wrong helpers, wrong method. But as long as Jesus is in the ship, all will be well. I'm forty with that tears from Blanche because even though he's a bit reluctant and half-hearted, Peter said, nevertheless, that's how he knew he was half-hearted Nevertheless, at your word. Well, at least he learned something here. He learned about the part of Jesus' word. He says, I will let down the net. But Peter's allowed to to learn a good lesson here. Because it's not the method, it's not the motive. It's all about the master. Jesus is master over the fish and he's master over the saints. He controls, even upholds everything the word says by the power of his word. It says in verse 6, and when they had done this, do you know, Jesus could have commanded the ship to the fish to jump in a boat. He could have went right in a boat. And the fish would have jumped in the boat. And I think sometimes that's what we want. I think sometimes we want Jesus to just say, right, fellow church, fellow church. We pray in a prayer meeting, don't we? Lord, we, we're serious about it. Pray in the unsafe. Lord, send the Holy Spirit to convince men and women of their sins. But what does the word of God say? Because in the scriptures, we, Jesus actually commands us to bring them in. We have the resource that's needed to bring them to faith in Christ. It says, it says it's the gospel. It's the power of God on the salvation for everyone who believes. Romans 1 16. We are the hands and the feet of the Holy Spirit. Augustine said, God doesn't need us. No, he doesn't. But he refuses to work without us. In Luke 14 23, Jesus said, Go into the highways. And the hedges and compel them to come in. I know it's the kingdom, but the principle's there. That my house might be filled. You see, we are to go out to evangelize and we're to come in to worship. In this little country of ours, we've been blessed over the years, not so much lately, but over the years, we've been blessed that 
unsaved people will actually come into what's called a gospel meeting. But that's not what we're told in the scriptures. You see, the meeting is for believers. This is what the meeting's about here. Remembering the Lord Jesus till he comes. Everything else is a bonus. We are to go out to evangelize and come in to worship. I don't know if you can remember back to your days. I can't. Whenever you weren't saved and maybe you were young and your parents dragged you to church or maybe you're older and the wife dragged you along or somebody dragged you to church and you sat in church and it was absolutely terrible. I can remember sitting in Matthew Baptist Church about 10 year old and looking at the pastor and looking at the clock because he was very old minute. And I know he should have been finished by now. And I absolutely hated church. Why? Because I didn't have the nature for church. And those people out there don't have the nature for coming into church. They can't worship God. So we need to go out there. We need to reach them on the doors. We need to reach them on the streets. We need to give them the gospel. And when God saves them, then bring them in. But the new nature. It's able to enjoy church. I remember sitting in a prayer meeting in Carrick Baptist Church about two weeks after I was saved. Everyone was praying, sitting with my father, and all praying. And I can remember lifting my head up, opening my eyes, and looking around me and going, What am I doing here? And the thought came back into my head, And you're loving this? You're enjoying this? I wouldn't enjoy a few weeks for this. We need to go out. And we need to reach them. And we need to bring them back and let them see if that that is what we So Jesus said, Let down your nets for a draft. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Now they're losing fish. They're losing fish here. The net's breaking. If you ask the question, did Jesus underestimate the load of fish? No, he didn't. They did. They underestimated the load of fish that they had. What went wrong? Well, here's what went wrong. Jesus said, "Let down your nets." Peter said, "What?" In verse five. You look at your word. I will let down the net. So you know, King James, both old King James and New King James, gets this right. The modern translations don't. They say Jesus said, "Let down your net." He didn't say that. It's plural. In Greek, it's plural. He says, let down your nets for a catch, for a draft. And Peter says, I will let down the net. And their net was breaking. Verse 7, so they back into their partners in the other ship. That's their companions. They needed help from another ship. Sometimes we're too proud to ask for help. You know. Sometimes we're tired of do things on our own. But they, they signaled to their partners of the other boat to come and help them. They didn't say, we'll catch our own fish, we work alone. No, that's what they did. And they came and they filled both ships and they began to sink. Listen, they went together and their ships couldn't contain the blessing of fish that they caught. And then we've got Peter's confession. He's learning the hard way, isn't he? The Lord was tough with Peter. He was hard on him. First he had Simon Peter saw it. And he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When Peter saw it, when Peter saw what? 
When he saw it, when he saw the lesson that he had to learn, he saw his sin. And his sin was faithlessness. He had doubted the Lord's ability. He lacked faithless. It's sin to lack, to lack faith. Peter saw himself. Doesn't the scripture say it's that sin that doth so easily beset us, encircle us, ensnare us? Faithless is that keeps us doing exploits for God. Hebrews 11. Peter was overcome with guilt at his faithlessness. For he, he doubted the Lord both his authority and his ability. He felt that he was not worthy to be in, in his presence. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Some people say because he saw the goodness of the miracle. Listen, Peter realized that he hadn't obeyed. He half obeyed what the Lord had told him to do. They all learned a good lesson that day. They learned a lesson about their teacher, that the Lord knows best. They learned a lesson about teamwork, that they could do more together than they could alone. That's the Southern Baptist cliche. They could do more together than they could do alone. They learned a lesson about training. And leaders are often hit the hardest. Sometimes leaders have to learn a lesson the hard way. But then we see the Lord's compassion. Because he wasn't about to leave Peter this way. And he said in verse 10, the second part of the verse, he says, Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. He said, Peter, don't worry, this is just a lesson. Leave your only fish. The real work is yet to come. You'll catch men. But it needs to be done tonight. I will say it, please go on through the foolishness of the message preached. Forgive me for changing that, but that's what it says in the reason. Not the foolishness of preaching. Preaching is not foolish. The foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's, that's the way we do it. We preach the gospel. Lovely to have hymns and praise services and all those things. That's, that's great. The gospel is what says so. Be a fisher of men, we need to know how to articulate the gospel, which is not difficult to learn. I get, sometimes I ask classes, we do fundamentals of the faith class, which lasts for a number of weeks, and sometimes I say, like, could you articulate the gospel if somebody asks you? People panic. They think they can't do it. We need to learn how, we need to, learn how to do it. And, there, there are verses in Scripture we can follow. First Peter 3 and 15. It's a great verse. It talks about sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. In other words, you need, first of all, to give Jesus that special place in your life. He needs to be the preeminent one. He needs to be the primary one in your life. Everything else falls in after the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. We need to be always ready to give the account of the hope that lies within us or the reason apologia it's, a, it's an account it's a reason it's a reckoning of the hope that lies within us what did Paul say Christ in me the hope of glory give it to everyone who asks take every opportunity that comes along do it with meekness and reverence Ask yourself, what am I depending on for heaven? Maybe we should do this often. What am I depending on for heaven? 
In whom does my hope rest? And then tell others when they ask. We went out just the other week or on a Saturday we go out in the shops and give out gospel tracts and sometimes it, the track you just do give it out and you take the gospel tract and take it. But we got these little tracks and they're quite animated looking but on the track it says if God asks you why should I let you in the night happen what would you say? And um, we give the tracks and we said to people would you look at the question on that? What would you, what would you say? And they read it and they, they always begin with I. Well, I, I'm not a bad person, or I get to the church, or I go to church. I said, no, no, if you begin with that, you're not getting in. But you need to be ready to, to approach people, well, obviously, who are interested in hearing about the hope that lies within you. And that's, that, mean, that means that, that that verse is like a proposition where people have to see your life. They have to see that hope. They have to see your joy. They have to see that you've got something, you've got concern for others, but you've also got something that they don't have in order that they might say, what is it? What have you got that I haven't got? Tell me. And what have you got then? You've got a captive audience. When I was seated at first, I used to go into work and jump over people. Listen, you need that. And I was giving them the arm and I'm you need to hear the gospel. They didn't want to know. But when anybody ever said to me, you get something I haven't got. What makes you happy? Where's all this joy come from? Then I can tell them. Jesus changed my life. Jesus came into my life. Saved me. And life has never been the same. Captive audience is a wonderful thing. Finally, there's a commitment here in the first part. Um, in verse 11. So when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed them. That's a good verse on the they forsook all and followed him. I remember when I got saved, I said about six months, maybe more, a bit more. We lived in my father's house one day, I turned the corner from me. And as I walked through the living room in the kitchen, get a drink of water, my dad said to me, Here, come here, man. And I said, What is it? He says, Have you, have you led your life on the altar? Yeah. I said, What do you mean? He said, Have you committed everything over to the Lord? He says, A living sacrifice. As you mean a more to He says, go you read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and, and see what it says, and go back and see me. And I read it. And it says, you know, by laying your life on the altar, which is your reasonable service. I thought about that. I went home, and upstairs, and went down beside my bed, and I said to the Lord, anywhere, Anything, anything, whatever you call it, you do. And I got off my knees and I felt a little bit, what have you just done? But I meant it. And you know, we need to forsake all. We need to lay our lives on the, on the altar, become a living sacrifice, be, be ready to do things for the Lord when He asks us to do them. And there's something else needs to be done for ourselves. Put it aside. They forsake. All and followed. And you might say this, but they're getting the full time ministry. We're all in the full time ministry. They pursue all. And they followed. And they're not part timers anymore. They're full timers. Called into the full time ministry for the Lord. Jesus had gone out intentionally 
to call them out to himself. And he could have done it when they, when they felt disappointed. He could have done it when they, they had no fish. Now he called them from the good times. He called them when things were going really well. When the boats were full of fish. They caught the biggest load of fish they ever caught in their lives. And Jesus says, come on, leave all that. And follow, and follow me. You know, they were astonished, and, and we will be astonished too many times. They had to say to the Lord often, help my own life, and so will we. So will we, but we need to follow. Proceeding on. Fast forward to John's Gospel. I don't know why time works here, but anyway, fast forward to John's Gospel, and, and we find about three years, maybe, maybe three years and, and a number of months later, in John 21, Jesus had been crucified, risen from the dead. He told Mary to go tell the disciples, not Peter, that I'll meet, I'll meet them in Galilee. And they'd gone back home to, to Galilee, and they were there together. And in verse 3 of, of John 21, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And they said, we also will go with you. Peter was a leader. Sometimes he didn't lead in the right direction. We'll go with you. And they went forth and they entered into a ship immediately. And that night, they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. It's not sad. For a moment in time, the, the, the sitting Savior become the stranger of Galilee. The moment in time, he didn't know who he was. They answered him. Then she said, On the children, have we any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said, On the cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find some. Now that's all wrong again. The wrong time, it's the morning. The command is to come, the command to cast your net. On the right side of the ship, suggests that they were probably fishing on the left side of the ship. Someone said to me one time that they fished in a kind of a circle, and the lights, and when they put the light in the center, the fish came into the light, and they and they drew the net in, and they, they, they caught the fish. I'm not so sure about all that, but Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find some. They cast in verse six. Look at this time. Therefore, we're not able to draw it in into the boat for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said on the paper, that is the Lord. You see, the fact that they didn't complain, and the fact that the word of God says, therefore, we always say, what's therefore, therefore? It's there for a reason. And I think subconsciously they, 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 they heard the voice, and they responded to the voice. There's something about that voice from the shore that, that we need to do what, what, what he says. And they did it. And therefore it says it's, the disciple that Jesus loved who was John said on appearance of the Lord. John saw the miracle but Peter spoke of his own master. And he dived into the sea and he's dragging the net full of fish to land. 153 megas fish. That means they were great fish. Great special. And for all there were, the net was not broken. 
Can you see the contrast here? Through obedience they lost none. Then Jesus said unto them, Come and die. And none of the disciples there's asking them, Who art thou, knowing it was the Lord? They knew that Jesus was the Lord. Curious. The Lord of all creation. Not only their teacher and their master, but the one whom all nature obeys. And they had learned to do the same. They learned to obey. And in obeying, they caught a great little fish. Jesus changed the lives of seven fishermen from Galilee. He changed the life of a tax a terrorist, and two other men, and later on in Acts, he changed the life of another, and made them disciples, apostles he called them, sent out ones, and he sent them out to catch men for God. What could Jesus do with us? What could he do with you? He can change your life if you let him. If you're obedient to his calling and obedient to his command, because that comes after the calling, he can make you a fisher of men. He can make you a soul winner. And he who wins souls, Scripture says, twice. Romans 13 and 12 says, The night is far spent and the day. Is at hand. The day of the Lord is closing in fast. That time after we're gone, when 21 judgments fall upon this earth, it's just around the corner. The day of grace is coming to an end. We need to be out seeking souls for the Lord while we still can. Serious business. That's right. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. We know, Father, that there are men and women and young people out there who need the Lord. We ask that you'll help us to use the gospel message to draw into you. Help us to be fishers of men and women and young people. Help us to disciple them and teach them to do the same. And Father, if there's any here this afternoon or listening to us on the internet you are not yet saved Father I pray that they will realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is the seeker of souls He came to seek and to save that which is lost so Lord speak to our hearts this morning speak to us in order that we might become serious about the Master's business for we ask you for this more precious and worthy name. Amen.